Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera, pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Three-time champions, international face English champions, Manchester City, who are looking for their first Champions League triumph. We'll preview the big final and try to explain the reasons behind the big moves in the transfer window we witnessed this week. Also coming up... But it's still in play. Gets the ball across. It's in the back of the middle. Stadium into raptures. Let's just have a look at this artistry. First of all, that beautiful one-two. A little bit too deep. El Shahat spots Percy Cho. In it goes, in the corner. An absolute delight to the eye. El Shahat. Run, a surging run. The ball goes up. It's in the back. There's a good opportunity. This is surely going to be Cho. Look at that. Canelo. 
the corner. Nice touch. That is absolutely sensational. Can they get the ball across? It's there for the taking. It's in the back of the net. Oh, my word. How about that? The CAF Champions League final will take centre stage on the continent as Wynada Nagli tassel for the right to be crowned kings of African football. We have a preview ahead. 8-7, she leads the tiebreak. Match point number two. Forehand, Harad Meyer. Forehand, Shviontek cross-court. Harad Meyer reaching for it. Pops it high in the air. It's bounced. Shviontek to put away the forehand. And to reach a fourth Grand Slam final. And a third here in Paris. Just a few days after her 22nd birthday. The backhand of Sabalenka. Mukova's backhand with a bit of air down the line. Sabalenka with a forehand, which will be wide. And Karolina Mukova completes a stunning comeback. Saves a match point, reaches a French Open final, a first Grand Slam final, and is the first player to beat Arena Sabalenka in a Grand Slam in 2023. We'll be in Paris to preview the French Open finals in the male and female divisions in Argentina to round up the ongoing FIFA Under-20 tournament and in the USA for a preview of the ongoing NBA finals. Time to talk about what the world is talking about in the world of sport. Hello from me, George Ade Jr. And welcome to The Locker Room. Live on radio, live online, this is The Locker Room with George Ado Jr. Thank you very much for staying with us on The Locker Room. On Joy 99.7 FM, it's always a pleasure to come your way with a pacey preview of the sporting weekend. And there's quite a lot to look forward to, even though the football is all coming to an end. There's tennis to talk about. There is huge basketball with the NBA Finals ongoing. The big news in golf. And, of course, we'll settle on a number of huge transfer news you may be very, very interested in. So where do we start from tonight? Must definitely be from the USA. And we talk the NBA. Here we go, the Denver Nuggets and Miami Heat. Game three of the NBA Finals presented by YouTube TV. Two games in Denver, each team with a win. It's time for game three. A bio. Oh, fancy move for a bio off the glass. Eric's supposed to have been raving about the play. About a bio. Kevin Love for three. Murray the drive, backs it home. Adebayo, jump shot. And all three buckets. Max Bruce with the assists. Play. Murray, a 30-point game. Oh, Duncan Robinson knocked down a couple of threes. And it's nine. And now the Nuggets can dribble it out. And Murray just got his rebound. So they have two 30-point triple-doubles here in game three for the Nuggets. What an answer after the disappointing loss in game two at home. The Denver Nuggets win their fourth straight road game in these playoffs and regain home court advantage. Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray start as Denver Nuggets beat the Miami Heat 109-94 to to take a 2-1 lead in the NBA Finals. Jokic scored 32 points, becoming the first player to record 30 points, 20 rebounds and 10 assists in the Finals. The best of seven series resumes at the same venue in Miami at dawn. Let's make sense of what's gone and what's to come. 
Our NBA expert Kofi Owusu joins us now. Thank you very much, Kofi, for your time on the show as always. Uh, the Denver Nuggets took a 2-1 series lead over the Miami Heat with a 109-94 win in uh, Miami. What are your takeaways from that game? The Denver Nuggets were able to bounce back from their game two loss with a great victory over the Miami Heat. They took control of the game in the third quarter and they never looked back. The Miami Heat have been doing an amazing job of coming back in the fourth quarter from large deficits. But this time, the Denver Nuggets were focused and they made sure that they did not relinquish the lead and came out victorious. And that they had great play from their two stars, Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. The first teammates to have um, triple doubles with that many points in the history of the NBA Finals. So it was a historic night for, for the two stars of the Denver Nuggets. They played an overall great defensive game. They held the Miami Heat under 100 points. And most of the time in the NBA, if you can hold your opponents under 100 points, you have a very, very good chance to win. So I think the defense of the Nuggets, their ability to close out the game in the fourth quarter and the stellar play of their stars is what made the difference in Game 3 of the NBA Finals. Coaching always plays a big role in play of success. Who has the edge in the coaching department? What strategies or tactics have been implemented successfully by either side? Coaching always plays a huge role in the playoffs. Um, It's all about adjustments when it comes to the playoffs. You're playing the same team maybe four, five, six, seven times in within two weeks. So it's all about making small adjustments that when, when you are quarter, when you are half and when you are game, then reading the game for the next for the next the next game in the series and i think both coaches have done an amazing job all playoffs in that in the case of miami heat postra is considered by many to be the best coach in the nba to be able to bring an eighth seed all the way to the finals um that alone shows the pedigree of him as a coach he he's great at making adjustments one of the things he's been doing in, in this series and also um, previous series is to play a zone defense in the NBA most teams don't play zone defense zone defense is usually played at college and high school level and the NBA because of how good the players are zone doesn't usually work but Spostro has been able to play a hybrid of zone and man to man and it really throws teams off in the previous series against the Boston Celtics um, the Celtics just couldn't get a hang of the zone. It's, it's not what they're used to practicing against. It's not what they're, they're used to playing against. So when it comes at you in the middle of a playoff game, um, it can easily fluster you. And that's what they've done successfully. And that's what he did in game two. Um, in game three, the coach of the Denver Nuggets, Michael Malone, was able to counteract against the zone by placing Jokic in, in, in very dangerous areas. Jokic is a very great passer. And the way to break a zone that most any basketball coach would tell you is try and get the ball in the paints and get it to a good passer. And Jokic is the best possible player to get the ball to. He, he has a high IQ. He's able to um, gauge his surroundings and make the right play almost every single time. So um, Michael Malone being able to position Jokic at the right place has really been able to counteract the zone defense of the Miami Heat. So I think game four will be fascinating to see how Spostra also tries to counteract what Mike Malone has implemented. And I think this chess match is also a very intriguing part of NBA playoff basketball. Yeah, good to note that Kofi Jokic continues his stellar play with another triple-double. Is this one of the all-time great playoff stretches? Will a title win for Jokic make him an all-time great? Jokic has continued with his um, video game-like numbers in the playoffs. He's almost averaging a triple-double in the in the finals. I think he's just one assist shy of a triple-double. He's averaging a triple-double through the entire NBA, NBA playoffs. This is unprecedented and surely one of the greatest um, NBA playoff runs of all time. I don't think it's hyperbole to say that. 
Um, his team is winning. They're they're two they're two games away from winning the NBA championship, and he's putting up these spectacular numbers. And also on very great efficiency. Jokic doesn't shoot so many times. Yesterday, I think he missed only six shots. He made like eleven. He made eleven shots and only missed about six shots. So he shoots a very great efficiency, and he gets his teammates involved with amazing passing. He rebounds the ball, twenty rebounds. Um, when you check the records of the NBA, he's putting up numbers that only people like Will Chamberlain and Kareem. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar had put up. So he's in very great company. And I think with a championship, he will surely um, rank as one of the great all-time centers or big men or players in general of all time. Um, he's certainly m- most people's best player in their current NBA right now. And I think what he's doing is just cementing himself as the, the best player, at least for now. Kofi, going down 3-1 will be catastrophic for the Miami Heat. What do the Heat need to do to tie up the series? Yes, going down 3-1 in a playoff series is always not a very good idea if you want to win. Um, in 2016, remember LeBron James came back from a 3-1 series deficit, but it's extremely difficult, extremely unlikely. I think that was the first time in NBA history. So the Miami Heats definitely do not want to go down 3-1 against a very solid team in the Denver Nuggets. Um, in order for them to win game four, they're going to have to shoot the ball better. They only made 11 three-pointers in game three. This playoffs, anytime the Miami Heat shoot well from three, they usually win. So I think they're going to have to do a better job of shooting, a better job of stopping the two-headed monster of Jokic and Murray. Jokic has all but made himself unstoppable, but Murray is is is, is a bit hot and cold. Usually hot, to be fair to him, this playoffs. But the few games he goes cold, the Nuggets struggle. So Miami Heat are going to have to keep their defense on Murray, try to double-team, try to bring him different looks to try and, you know, cool him off. When he's cooled off, it really changes the dynamic of the game. It, it puts more pressure on Jokic to score. And when Jokic scores, although you know you don't have to score and, and beat you through scoring, but most of the time, his scoring is not his, his, his most dangerous attack points. In game two, he scored 41 points, but they still lost. When he has lots of assists, his teammates are scoring. That is when the Nuggets are their most dangerous. So it might be wiser to get the ball out of Jamal Murray's hands and put more pressure on Jokic to score. So I think if the Miami Heat can shoot better and play better defense on Murray, they can come back in game four and make this a 2-2 series. And obviously, Kofi, that's the part where most of you don't like. Uh, Pandits have to get used to it, don't they? What do you see happening in game four? Talking about your predictions. Game four is always a very important game in the NBA series. Like I just discussed, if the Nuggets go up 3-1, it will be a very commanding lead. And most of the time, a team that goes up 3-1 in the final usually wins. If Miami is able to win, it will make it 2-2. And that will set up three very intriguing games to close out the series. Um, You can never count out the Miami Heat all through these playoffs. Whenever their backs are against the wall, they come out, you know, firing in the next game. They have great mental strength. You know, the leadership of Jimmy Busler and, and Spolstra gives them great mental strength. They're never afraid of the situation. They, they, um, the Nuggets, although they played very well in Game 3, you might you might be deceived into thinking that that means they'll win Game 4 easily. That is not the case. Game 1, they won very convincingly and they lost Game 2. And like I said, Miami has done this all through the playoffs. So I will not be surprised if Miami is able to win Game 4 on their home court. And... Like I said, through better defense on Mary and better shooting, they have every chance to even up this series. I think it's going to be a very interesting game, no doubt. I think Mary is going to try and not be slowed down like he happened in game two. And that's going to be the game between Jamal Murray's ability to play like a star and Miami Heat's mental strength. 
I think between those two factors, we'll see, we'll see who comes out victorious in Game 4. Thank you very much. Kofi Wusu is our NBA expert and joined us with that. He'll be keeping across Game 3 and indeed we'll bring you more analysis across uh, platforms here on Multimedia. Golf next. The PGA Tour and the DPUL Tour have agreed to match with Saudi Arabia's Public Investment Fund in a deal that ends the splits in the game. The surprise announcement comes after a year of unprecedented disruption in the men's game following the launch of Live Golf, which is funded by PIF. It means the pending litigation between the tours will be halted and they will move forward as part of the same enterprise. Well, number three, Rory McRoy had been a firm defender of the PGA Tour as rivals accepted lucrative deals to join the Live Golf Series funded by the PIF. Speaking of the Canadian Open, the Northern Irishman said he had mixed emotions about the surprise deal. When I try to remove myself from the situation and I look at the bigger picture and I look at 10 years down the line, you know, I think ultimately this is going to be, it's going to be good for the, the, the game of professional golf. I think it secures the, uh, it unifies it and it, and it secures its, its financial future. So um, at least it means... They're disappointed in this deal. But it's not live. I think that's the thing. I still hate live. Like I hate live. Like I, I hope it goes away and I would fully expect that it does. And I think that's where the distinction here is. This is the PJ Tour, the DP World Tour, and the PIF. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera. Pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado. Para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500. Hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Very different from Live. All I've do- tried to do is protect what the PGA Tour is and what the PGA Tour stands for. And I think it will continue to, to do that. So, look, going forward, I hope that there's, you know, there may be a team element and you're going to see... 
maybe me, maybe whoever else play in some sort of team golf, but I don't think it'll look anything like Liv has looked, and I think that's a good thing. Rory McIlroy there. Let's bring in Amy Rogers, who's a golf broadcaster and currently out at the Canadian Open. Thank you very much, Amy, for your time. So what was the news like when it broke out on Tuesday? Because it really came from nowhere. Completely out of the blue. Uh, players that I spoke to use words like shock, surprise, disappointment. Um, every player that I spoke to here on site at the RBC Canadian Open had no knowledge of this merger between the PGA Tour and Live before it was announced yesterday. So um, as I walked around, it was around 10.30 um, a.m. local time here yesterday. I saw a lot of players on their phones, some players I actually saw walking up to them, each other with their phones in their hands, just in total disbelief um, at what they were reading. And, and I'm sure you saw the reactions from players like uh, Colin Morikawa, who learned over Twitter you know, what was happening with the PGA Tour. So shock um, all around from everyone who just uh, could not believe what they were learning. And, and even just being here uh, on site again today so far, um, it's still very much the talk here, um, as I'm sure it will, will continue to be for, for the coming days. Uh, Amy, I know you've covered so many tournaments, but I guess the mood of the, at this particular tournament you are at at the moment is a lot different. Anything you've gathered? It is. It's... Um, it's hard to put into words, really. It's um, surprising even for, you know, we're here covering an event, we're interacting with members of the PGA Tour, members of their staff who were equally as shocked to learn this news. I mean, they just found out yesterday morning as well. So they're here trying to work, interact with us, helping, you know, to get us players to talk about their organization. So it was a very strange uh, dynamic for everyone um, involved. As you know, we mentioned, so few people knew about it that it just caught everyone so off guard and so by surprise um, yesterday. And I think, um, you know, going into that player meeting yesterday, they were just hoping to get more information uh, from PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan, trying to learn a bit more about the details. And unfortunately, from the players that I spoke to after that meeting, they came away still with more questions than answers as you know Monaghan told these players it was still just a, a framework agreement and didn't even have the details in place so I think that just continues to lend itself to just the shock and wondering about what this all means you know for pe professional golf going forward let's talk about James Mona the PGA Tour chief so much focus on him and as you say the players and everyone wanting answers from him we know the players meeting was intense and heated what more can you tell us yeah, I spoke to quite a few players coming out of that meeting, um, many just declining to want to talk about it. Some of the first players to leave, Justin Rose, Webb Simpson, uh, Brendan Todd left while it was still underway. Uh, so I think that gives you a little indication about uh, their feelings. But um, generally players coming out just having no information, um, still saying that there were just so many details yet to be um, ironed out. Um, there was no discussion about compensation. Um, that's something that's come up, especially for these players that uh, turned down huge offers to go to live golf no discussion um about their compensation but money did come up um in that meeting and monahan explaining that it's become quite costly for the tour in uh, fighting these lawsuits against live golf and you know all the money that they've put into these increased purses for these elevated events so i think money certainly playing a, a big role in that meeting for what we've heard uh from players from that standpoint but you know i talked to a member of the player advisory council who was heading into that meeting who had no idea and he said to me with just such frustration he's like 
how do you think that makes us feel? You know, these players are in place to be able to advise and to share their thoughts and feelings who had no idea uh, that this was coming, weren't consulted at all. And I asked him, you know, is there anything that Monaghan could even say in that meeting that would make you feel any differently? And he simply said, no. So I think for some of these players, the damage has been done and, and there's nothing more that can be said that's going to make them feel better. Um, and I think they're going to have a really difficult time uh, trusting uh, the leadership going forward. I guess then players who decided not to play in the live tour for personal and ethical reasons have big decisions to make, Emmy. Exactly. And and now there there is nowhere else to go. You know, the other options were the DP World Tour and Live Golf. And now they're all going to be under the same umbrella. So it's kind of like our way or the highway. You know, if you don't like it, there's not really any other major tours to go to um, at this stage. You know, I did speak with a player yesterday. He didn't want to comment on camera, um, but he did turn down an offer to go to live. And and his was for more for personal reasons. He said at the stage of his career, he felt like live was just too unreliable and he didn't want to take that sort of risk. But he, he did admit, he's like, you know, it is, it is a good time to be a golfer. So, Emmy, what needs to be done at the moment for calm to prevail? Because it looks like we're far away from any of that happening. It really does. They need answers, you know. And I think, honestly, the the tour, PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan, they, they don't have all of those answers yet. You know, admittedly, they said that this agreement still needs to be finalized. And so, unfortunately, I don't think they even have some of the answers to give right now. And I think until those those questions are answered we're going to continue to have this sense of instability um and just unknown um until players can learn more i think they're going to still be um frustrated um and upset let's do the tennis now the big finals begin tomorrow at the french open climaxing of course First, with a women's singles final. It's been really, really interesting to monitor all that has happened. And indeed, the men's final, uh, of course, as we had a good idea of everything that happened not uh, not long ago, a few hours ago. And so the men's final will take place on Sunday in Paris. Then we know Czech player Karolina Makova became one of the lowest-ranked players to reach the French Open women's final as she edged the thriller against the Belarusian second seed, Arena Sabalenka. She will face Iga Swantek, and we're definitely going to be looking ahead to that big final. The BBC senior tennis correspondent, Russell Fowler, has been watching all semi-finals alongside the former tennis player, Annabel Croft. Mukova's backhand with a bit of air down the line. Sabalenka with a forehand, which will be wide. And Karolina Mukova completes a stunning comeback. Saves a match point. Reaches a French Open final. A first Grand Slam final. And is the first player to beat Arena Sabalenka in a Grand Slam in 2023. 8-7, she leads the tiebreak. Match point number two. Forehand, Harad Meyer. Forehand, Sviontek cross-court. Harad Meyer reaching for it. Pops it high in the air. It's bounced. Sviontek to put away the forehand. And to reach a fourth Grand Slam final. And a third here in Paris. Just a few days after her 22nd birthday. No doubt Beatrice Harad Meyer has given her the strongest challenge of this French Open so far. But Sviontek has come through again. And she's come through again in straight sets. And she will play the unseeded Karolina Mukova for a third French Open title on Saturday afternoon.
great hitting, fabulous contest, oh, and oh. what a brilliant afternoon for women's tennis. Oh, my goodness. That was a showcase, wasn't it? That's one of the best matches I've seen of the championships, just the level that both of them brought into it, the drama, thrilling, thrilling end to it. How on earth she got herself through that match. I mean, it just showed great uh, mental strength and stability to be able to, to come through a match like that when your opponent is literally throwing everything and the kitchen sink at you. And she came up, you know, with the right shots at the right time to close it out. But I, I thought for sure we were going to get into a final set there. She did extremely well. What a, what a match. What a tournament for Harad Meyer. And welcome to the top ten, Beatrice Harad Meyer. What a fortnight, having never before gone past the second round of a Grand Slam. And as for Iga Swiatek, not just a French Open final to look forward to, but her win and Arena Sabalenka's defeat means that she will begin a 63rd consecutive week as world number one on Monday morning. Yeah, she's walking rather gingerly off the court as if already her body has kind of uh, gone into a bit of stiffness there. You can see how she's uh, trudging off the court. I mean, she literally left her heart and soul out on this Philippe Chatrier court. And uh, I would think she's earned an enormous amount of locker room respect for the way that she's played her tennis, the way that she's pushed the world number one out here. Just the level she played. I didn't think she could play at that level for no. such a long period of time, but wow, she She's really, really been extraordinary. And probably not on the phone to Laura. And to be honest, a bit of eager and a bit of beer would go down quite nicely. I don't see why you can't have both. <laughs> Let's have idea. a final thought from Annabelle Croft then. On the final that we now have to look forward to, I mean, Iga Swiatek is going to take some stopping, but Karolina Mukova, OK, she'll be a little tired after three hours and 13 minutes on court against Irina Sabalenka, but if she's ever doubting herself, she just wants to look back at being 5-2 and match point down to the Australian Open champion of world number two. And if she can play like that yes. against Swiatek, Boy, do we have a final to look forward yeah, to. Yeah, and it's going to be very different from the match that we've just witnessed because she has so much more variety and combinations of different shot-making, as we heard in the interview when Mats Villander was saying to her, wow, you know, how did you learn to play such creative tennis and how do you do it? So I think it'll be a really interesting match-up in terms of the contrast that we're going to see. We're not going to see the ball-blasting that we've just witnessed out here, which was a different type of match. But you've got to favour Sviantec because of that experience. She's won this championship twice before. She one at the US Open. She knows how to play in Grand Slam finals. And we don't know how Mukova will feel going in. There's going to be a lot of extra mm. nerves and tension, I would think. But I think we just hope that we're going to get a great match. And certainly, she's been playing the sort of tennis that can certainly challenge Sviantec. But I would have to put my money on her. And much more to look forward to because there are three days still to go at Roland Garros. We've crowned our mixed doubles champions in Mio Kato and Tim Puetz. But there are lots of other trophies to be won. Alfie Hewitt will be competing in the singles final, trying to win a fourth wheelchair singles final over the weekend. Russell Fuller with Annabelle Croft watching all semi-finals and definitely back on duty as we look forward to the finals on Saturday, the women's finals and the men's singles finals to come on Sunday. Football next. And we begin with a seven-time Ballon d'Or winner who has settled for the United States as his next destination. Messi running freely at Laporte, then the ball into Mbappe, back to Messi, it's there, it's 2-0, it's Lionel Messi, he scores his first goal for Paris Saint-Germain. Argentina legend Lionel Messi will join American side Inter Miami after his exit from the French champions Paris Saint-Germain. 
Messi had a more lucrative offer from Saudi Arabian side Al-Hilal, while a return to Barcelona became an impossibility because of financial fair play limitations. So let's try to get behind Messi's decision. And joining me is the American soccer writer, Teddy Blair, who works with BBC Miami. Thanks, Blair, for your time. Huge news in Miami then. How is this going down so far? Everyone's really excited, honestly. And rumors and hopes of Messi coming to Inter-Miami have really been circling since the team's debut in 2020. And it's really been projected by even the majority shareholders, the Moss brothers, and um, two of Enter Miami's owners to bring Messi to Miami before 2025. So this is really exciting. Social media is blowing up. Just today, even mentions on social media have almost tripled. So it's massive news here. Everyone's very excited. So what do we think has tempted Messi to play outside of Europe for the first time? So like what we heard mentioned, a lot of it's commercial. Um, Saudi Arabia obviously did offer a massive package, but Messi is looking to possibly get a share of the revenue from Apple TV Plus's MLS season pass, and Adidas has offered him profit-sharing agreement as well. There's also the idea that he would have the option of having a percentage ownership after he retires from the MLS, which is something we've seen before with David Beckham. So there's a lot of the business side here. Commercially, um, this is a really good move for him, and it's the biggest signing for Inter-Miami and one of the biggest signings ever for the MLS. Yeah, Blair, that was my next question. In fact, how big a queue is this for the MLS? It's incredibly huge. And I mean, it's huge here. It's huge for the MLS. And it's especially big considering Inter-Miami lost its big player, um, Iguain, another massive Argentine player and a football legend last year. So getting this replacement is really going to be exciting for us is really exciting for the MLS and it's going to bring a lot of viewership to the MLS we have I think in the U.S. there's a lot of lack of attention to football um, in replacement you have the NBA you have American football so I think this is really going to be important for the MLS viewership as well and you say big certainly big for the city of Miami but even bigger for Inter Miami who are a new team as well Yes, they, we re- really saw the possibility of Inter-Miami becoming a team in 2018 after years of conversation. And the first game wasn't played until 2020. And even then, COVID put a stop to that. Um, the first game here, the first home game was actually canceled because of COVID-19. So it's very new. There's still a lot of excitement around the team and a lot of people getting into it. But that's what's so special, too, about Miami is there's a huge amount of interest in football here. We have a huge Latin American influence in Miami. So there's a lot of support, not only for Inter-Miami as a new team, but for football as a culture. And do we know when Messi is making his debut, especially with some parts of the MLS season still left to play? Fans will be looking. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Looking over the shoulders. We're expecting his debut on 21st July. There is a friendly against Mexican club Cruz Azul. And that's what most of the major dailies are expecting at the moment. Play. I'm sure Messi has his work cut out, obviously, because if you look at the Eastern Conference table at the moment... And you have to go all the way down to the bottom to find where Inter-Miami are. So, it's certainly not been the best of seasons. No, they're not. And they did just recently file their co- fire their coach, Phil Neville. But at the same time, that offers an opportunity for Miami to possibly bring in Tata Martino, 
one of Messi's former managers, both with Barca and Argentina. And so that could be really big for Inter Miami and really help them make their way up so you don't have to scroll all the way down the list to find them. And this goal to reunite the two of them could be really massive for the team and also for excitement in Miami. Tady Blair is a football writer who works with BBC Miami and joined us with some analysis on that. Now, from one Ballon d'Or winner to another. Karim Benzema has agreed terms on a three-year deal with Saudi Arabian champions Al Ittihad after leaving Real Madrid. Uh, we follow this all through the week. French striker has won 25 trophies, including five Champions League trophies there and four La Liga titles in 14 years with Madrid, but agreed to let him leave his contract a year early. He had scored 354 goals for Real, second only to Cristiano Ronaldo, who is also in Saudi and in a country that appears to be attracting a lot more stars lately. So let's find out more. And joining me is Malika Fasru, a journalist based in the region. Malika, thank you very much for your time. What has the reaction then been to Benzema's signing at the moment? Oh, it's been it's been just amazing. So, uh, if you look at the Etihad Twitter account, you see how he's being celebrated. They call him uh, our new superstar um, here in Saudi Arabia. It's just it's just a feeling of uh, awe and happiness, especially because Karim Benzema he's Arab, so there is a feeling of belonging. Of he's one of us and he's coming to us now. But you know, rumors have it that he's not the, the last superstar who's coming. Very, very well. Fashru, you have led me to my next question. Uh, because Chelsea's in Golo Kante, Iki Gondawan, the number of players are rumoured to be heading uh, to Saudi. The question is, when Cristiano Ronaldo then signed for the club, did it feel like a one-time signing or indeed it did strike a chord of a new era for Saudi football? I think getting Ronaldo uh, to Saudi Arabia was not only uh, a sign for the sports league, but also for Saudi tourism. So it was just getting um, Ronaldo to Saudi Arabia to get people to come to Saudi in general and to also, you know, wash a little bit the image of Saudi Arabia worldwide. And I think to that time when uh, Cristiano Ronaldo came, uh, people were so in awe that a super select uh, Cristiano Ronaldo would move to Saudi Arabia that they were very busy with just covering or you know being uh, being busy about uh, Cristiano Ronaldo being in the country. But definitely, it did not feel like a one-off move because shortly after that, they approached uh, Messi, and uh, Saudi has a very let's just say aggressive. Uh, strategy during the summer transfer window which is taking place at the moment and trying to get any big star any big name they can uh, to Saudi Arabia with uh, Benzema it was a bit tricky in the beginning because he would you know rumors had it that he wants to stay a year longer with Real Madrid but um, you know this money was just too good to say no and this is the feeling that many stars have in Europe because if they stay in Europe um, where they are in a more competitive league um, they it's better for their career but if they come to Saudi Arabia, the money is just better. So at the moment, the superstars that might come to Saudi Arabia are actually stars, you know, uh, like Benzema or Ronaldo, who are at the end of their career and just want to make a bit more money before they, you know, leave football for good. Alika, on a wider scale, there was an announcement on Monday from the Saudi PIF that four of their clubs, Al Etihad, Al Nasri, Ahli, and Hilal, had been transformed into companies each of which is owned by the PIF and non-profit foundations for each club as well. So what's the significance of this? 
Well, it's a huge significance because the PIF uh, has a lot of money and is willing to spend this money uh, into Saudi sports. So uh, these four clubs that you just mentioned, them being under the PIF, just gives them a lot, a lot of leverage to get other players, to get bigger players um, to Saudi Arabia. So this is definitely uh, one of the things they, you know, they aim to grow among the top 10 sports clubs in the world. Uh, Saudi Arabia um, aims to grow its uh, its sports hub in general. And also uh, it expects to, uh, the APF expects its market value to rise to more than 8 billion reals, which is approximately $2.1 billion over the same period um, for, the next, uh, for the next years. And also owning these four football clubs here in Saudi Arabia under the PAF is aligned with uh, MBS, Mohammed bin, Sal- uh, Mohammed bin Salman, Saudi Arabia's crown prince vision to transform Saudi by the year 2030 um, into a new era. I don't know about uh, our listeners around the globe, if they're familiar with the Vision 2030, but this Vision 2030 tackles uh, a lot of sectors in Saudi Arabia, sports, tourism, entertainment, um, economy, and wants to elevate Saudi Arabia and become a hub for many, many, many sectors. Malika Fashru was a sports journalist and is based in Saudi Arabia. Thank you very much for your time. Let's head to Spain. And the last time we're going to hear from our Spanish football expert, David Withworth. Uh, this season at least David as a ritual on a locker room we have to begin with your La Liga awards uh, who was your MVP surprise team of the year and team of the year so for me the player of the year there's lots of candidates but I would go with Robert Lewandowski terrific first season at Barcelona ending with a La Liga winner's medal I think the Polish striker has acquitted himself very very well on his first voyage outside of uh, of Germany and I think he's had a tremendous season so I would go with Robert Lewandowski as the, the player of the, the season in terms of the team of the season I would go off as soon I think it's a tremendous season that they've had to get to a, a Copa del Rey final really push Real Madrid in that final it was only a 2-1 defeat for them and to finally get over that defeat which was difficult for them in such a quick amount of time in a few weeks to return to the form that got them to the final and beat Girona in that last gas victory which meant that they are going to be in European football next season in your conference which means that for me I would get Osasuna the uh, the team of the uh, the year I think the surprise is well, you could say Sevilla could be with both because up until the World Cup, they were 19th in the table or in all sorts of trouble. And they were looking very, very iffy to, uh, to, to stay in the league for next season. So they were definitely the, the, uh, the letdown team, let's say, of the first part of the season. But you could give the same award for this to, to the same team for the second half of the season as being the surprise package of the second half of the season is Sevilla as well because with their new manager, uh, Mendilibar, he's turned a team from 19th to 12th in the table in the end, but only three points off 7th and 8th. And obviously winning the Europa League final completely changes the panoramic of the season. With that 7th uh, European crown, going into the Champions League next season, it's a huge carrot for a team that wins a European trophy. And a team that are used to Champions League football for all the world looked like they were going to miss out and then finally winning the trophy means that they're going to be going into the Champions League next season so I would give it to them 
And also a special mention for Real Sociedad, a team that obviously with my Betis backgrounds, obviously that is my team. But looking at La Liga in general, I've always had a soft soft spot for this new Real Sociedad team that's been formed the last three, four years with the likes of David Silva, Oyazabal, uh, Mikel Marino. They've got a very, very good stylish team, mixture of youth and blended with experienced steel and silk coming together and um, they fully deserve that fourth Champions League spot. They've been terrific all season, the most consistent team, beating the likes of Barcelona, Real Madrid on their stomping ground. And it'll be interesting to see how they deal with juggling both the Champions League and La Liga next season and full credit to them. We've spoken about this definitely at the top of the football discussion, but we have to drag it in again because it happened very much right under your very eyes. Karim Benzema making a move to Saudi Arabia. The question for you though is how big a loss is this for Real and what kind of replacements are being lined up? Big transfer news and a surprise transfer with Karim Benzema leaving Real Madrid. He's heading Saudi Arabia side to Al Etihad on a two-year deal. This deal has come from absolute nowhere because just two weeks ago, Benzema was saying that he's going to see out his contract for next season. But ultimately, the riches of Saudi Arabia has uh, turned his head. He's done everything he can at Real Madrid and he can't be blamed for his decision to uh, to really... Um, yeah, lie in his pockets with money, let's say. He wasn't poor um, beforehand, but uh, certainly, like, I foresee a lot of players now heading that way because of this new agreement with PIF, especially with the four richest clubs now in Saudi Arabia. They've got a huge pot of uh, treasures to uh, to get some of the best players in the world, and maybe even ones that could be in peak positions. For instance, the likes of Benzema and Golo Kante, players that are coming down to the end, winding down their careers. It's understandable, but maybe we could see a few players from La Liga or other group, uh, leagues in the peak of their powers, maybe players with 26, 27, 28 years, having to think about going over to Saudi Arabia. Um, so, yes, this is a, a, a deal that's come from nowhere. Carlo Ancelotti spoke about it at the end of the uh, the last match against Bilbao. It was a 1-1 draw. It was Karim Benzema's final game. Uh, 416 matches he's played for, for the Whites and he scored a penalty in his final match. And it's up to Real Madrid now to to uh, replace him as best as possible. First in line seems to be Harry Kane. And I think for all parties, it would be a good move. Real Madrid will get a world-class striker, someone similar to Karim Benzema. And for Harry Kane, he will get to test himself in a, a huge European team. Uh, the chances of winning silverware dramatically increased. But the ultimate thing for him is, does he want Alan Shearer's record so bad that he wants to stay in the Premier League? So that's the, the question he's got to ask himself over the next few weeks. But for Karim Benzema, a wonderful player over the last 10, 15 years in, in Spain, in La Liga. He's got better with uh, with age and he's been one of the best players of his generation. Yes, Dave, it's pre-season time and everyone looking forward to the next season. What are the keynotes you're making or what are you envisaging for next season? So this season in La Liga is in the book, but already thoughts will be turning to next season. Transfers already happening. Pre-season won't be far away as nowadays players are still in very good condition when they come back. Being to see what will happen, the panoramic, the, the shape 
of La Liga for next year. The likes of Real Sociedad, Sevilla, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, all in the Champions League next season. Real Betis and Villarreal will be in the Europa Liga. And Osasuna have had a terrific season, set a cup finalist of the Copa del Rey, finishing seventh, beating Girona in a final match to the winner-take-all Europa Conference uh, final match, let's say, and Osasuna will be playing in that competition next season, which was won by West Ham. And um, it's going to be very, very intriguing once again how uh, the teams are going to shake out. The likes of Mallorca, how are they going to do in their second season? They've had a terrific season this season. Can they build on it? The likes of Valencia, will they learn from their mistakes from last year or will they still be in a predicament come this time next season? The the duel between Barcelona and Real Madrid, how is that going to go with the likes of Barcelona hamstrung by financial problems? And also with Real Madrid, now they've got a shiny new stadium ready to go. The likes of Bellingham coming in, maybe Harry Kane, Kai Havertz, how are they all going to feature in the band of brothers of Carlo Ancelotti's team for, for next season. It's going to be a great ride once again for all our Liga lovers. Thank you very much for the time on the show. That's David Whitworth, the reporter for Real Betis and La Liga. Joined us all through the season and it's been an absolute pleasure having you alongside. You hear him again when there are big, big, big uh, transfer news stories coming in from Spain to Germany. And, of course, we chase the latest sports stories because the league is certainly over. And it's been a very active week of transfer. So we're joined by Chris Harrington from Dutch Vela, our partner station in Berlin. Chris, first of all, a few big names are set to depart the Bundesliga next season. Could this have an impact on who the title contenders are? Well, when you look at the teams that are capable uh, of dethroning Bayern Munich, Always, Borussia Dortmund's always going to be thrown into the mix. You can look at this past season and went down to the wire. And unfortunately, Borussia Dortmund disappointed. Uh, it's become somewhat of a habit, it seems like, in recent times. But it is what it is. And uh, RB Leipzig is a team. They are the German Cup holders winning back-to-back. They might go for a three-peat. I think that would be quite the accomplishment if they do manage that one. You know, you look at those teams. When you look at Dortmund, Jude Bellingham, he won the Bundesliga Player of the Year. You know, not for nothing. He's very talented. Uh, It's not a shock that Real Madrid and uh, teams in the Premier League are salivating for his signature. I think he'll be a massive loss at Borussia Dortmund in their midfield. But Dortmund somehow magically have this way and knack of finding very talented young players. You know, I I don't think... I think they'll somehow magically find a very good replacement. I don't think Dortmund's issue is their talent, their pound-for-pound talent. I, I think they're capable, more than capable, of winning the Bundesliga with the roster they basically had this season. It's something else. You know, I think Dortmund will have to figure out if Ed and Tessich is, you know the man to be there or, or, or what's going to happen really, you know, with them moving forward uh, before they give it a, another go at dethroning Bayern Munich. Uh, RB Leipzig, RB Leipzig again, I think you look at their leadership, it's a bit of a different story. Marco Rosa has been very good. Christopher Unkuku has been uh, injured, of course, you know, uh, coming off the World Cup and so forth. He did miss some time, but, you know, you can look at his performance in, in what recently landed RB Leipzig, another trophy, he'll be sorely missed. Um, It'll be really interesting to see how competitive RB Leipzig will be. They'll be in the Champions League, of course, 
you know, that'll be, uh, you know, uh, quite, quite interesting. Uh, and I, earlier in the week, I spoke on uh, Randall Colomuani. You know, his production offensively alone at Frankfurt, you, you know, there's no, obviously he's, you know, the best player at Frankfurt. He was the best player, the most fun to watch at Frankfurt this past season. His numbers, over 20 goals, you know, for Eintracht Frankfurt. Uh I think he'll be missed, too. Frankfurt got very lucky to even punch their ticket into the Europa League. They have a playoff before they can actually really compete in the Europa League. So, you know, when you look at that and you look at where they competed, despite the fact that they were in uh, contention for the German Cup, where they are in the standings says more about how good they are over a long period of time, of course. So uh, I think missing that offense, you know, they have uh, some uh, holes to fill so to speak. Chris, do you see any of the seven Bundesliga teams competing in Europe next season, making a title run, actually? Yeah, just looking at the list, you have Bayern Munich, Dortmund, Leipzig, Union Berlin, Freiburg, Leverkusen, and Frankfurt. Um, I like Bayern Leverkusen uh, the most. Uh, you saw they got very close to the Europa League final this past season. Javi Alonso has been very magical uh, up front. You know, he's been basically referenced as a mastermind uh, coach in a mindset while he was a player, uh, the son of a coach and so forth. I, I think that kind of pedigree, his know-how to mix that in with that he did it on the pitch as well, I think he serves as a perfect person to really guide young men to push themselves beyond their limits. I think, you know, he more than any other team because the other teams have question marks. Uh, Union Berlin, you know, they're punching above their weight. They're a fun side to watch, but to see them go deep in the Champions League, I, I just don't see that really happening. Uh, Bayern Munich, of course, who knows who will be on their roster next season. They have a lot of uh, improving to do. I think uh, Dortmund as well. The only team, in my opinion, that looks very solid from leadership down is uh, Leverkusen. So I would have them pipped as giving them the, and you just look at the history I think history will repeat itself is basically what I'm saying as always Chris what else has hit your radar yeah there's a job hunt uh, just a bit of news Borussia Mönchengladbach club's worst season in 12 years resulted in having their coach Daniel Fark uh, being fired only one year at the job you know it's a tough business but something about you know certain coaches in the Bundesliga they have a way of finding a job again you know, maybe there'll be an opportunity uh, for him in the near future. You know, but we, when you look at teams with certain rosters and, and the team, you know, Gladbach, Marcus Taram, Playa, the team's solid. You know, uh, very a lot, a lot of attack in the team, you know, underperforming. You have to change something. Obviously, the easiest thing to do is cut the head off and put on a new one. And that's what uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach are doing right now. There'll be a lot of news to come. There'll be a lot of moves, I'm sure, between now and and kick off the next season, including some international news here in Germany. So I'll be here to give you the latest for sure. Thanks for the Bundesliga update. That was Chris Harrington from a partner station, Dutch Vela, in Berlin, Germany. And now we talk about the big game to come in Istanbul. And alongside with everybody, it's the uh, hitter from Rapid Jersey taking place at Aviation Social Center. You want to be there. But that's how we cue in.
history chasing Manchester City against the 14-time European champions Real Madrid. And now De Bruyne, and they're toying with them. Bernardo Silva again! for the goal that might kill it once and for all Martinez does it delivers it and surely on their way now to the Champions League final rolling back the years bringing back the good times into Milan book their tickets for the Champions League final Just a few lines on the UEFA Champions League final tomorrow. Inter Milan and Manchester City, you know, meet for the first time. The biggest club prize in world football is once again up for grabs. City are in sight of a treble and the venue is the Artec Olympic Stadium. Stage for arguably the most memorable final of them all. The BBC team in Istanbul is headed by John Murray who will be running commentary tomorrow on the big final but of course steve crossman the five live sport is there and they had a lovely chat about how they're getting themselves around the town and looking forward to that big game live from a conference center in the bashakshahir district of istanbul and the build-up starts to the league final because in 48 hours time we will be a couple of miles northwest of here inside the Ataturk Stadium full commentary on Saturday night of the Champions League final the coverage starts at half past six we are sitting in what feels like a boardroom uh, with a semi-broken whiteboard to my right hand side I feel like saying John Murray you're fired <laughs> yeah it's got that feel of it hasn't it we've, we've seen a bit of life today haven't we you and I in Istanbul we've experienced the uh, the roads and the motorways <laughs> of Istanbul, which I must say was an experience this morning. I've driven here before, but I don't remember it being being quite like it was this morning. That was a real challenge, I have to say, behind the wheel, getting us around and crossing some of the, the roads. Very that well. We had to, well, it was it, uh, that needed full concentration this morning. So then we've been to the stadium. We've seen uh, very much last preparations being put to the Ataturk Stadium, which, as people will knows any Liverpool supporter who's listening who was here in 2005 will well remember it is right out on the uh, on the fringes of the city of Istanbul and um, so that will be a challenge for supporters getting there although I see UEFA today have said that they're going to put on transport for supporters to get to the ground um, so we've been there and we've also been down in the centre of Istanbul today just to see what the mood was down there they are really laying it on thick aren't they all around this city Every, I mean even on the plane over here we were I mean we work for the BBC and of course we do not accept gifts but I think it's okay to keep the Turkish Airlines what they called special, special Champions League magnet special magnet yes you know it, it it means a heck of a lot to them this country uh, you know, and they've been through terrible times recently, remember, and, mm. and that will be mentioned, the, the victims of the earthquake at the weekend as well. But in a sporting sense, I mean, it is the Ataturk Olympic Stadium. They're 
desperate to host the Olympics. They've been in for 2008, they've been for 2020, and also a big football tournament. Because as we know, I've been here many times with various clubs, the passion here for football is incredible. But the bid for Euro 2016 lost out to that. They were interested in hosting. 2020 on, the mo on, the, on their own before the anniversary idea came up. They lost out to Germany for, for next year, for 2024. Uh, they are bidding against the, the British and bid for, for 2028, and they've also thrown the hat into the ring for 2032. That's how desperate they are to get a big tournament. So to have the final again is, uh, is very, very... Yeah, such a, such a big thing for them. When it comes to this final, John, I, I heard at the, the Manchester City media day the phrase sporting immortality being mentioned. And that is a big phrase, um, but for once it's accurate. Yep, the, the chance to do this treble. And, uh, you know, how, how much we've talked about it over the course of the last few weeks and months. I think there was a sense that it was on for them, a real possibility. And now here we are for Manchester City. Y you were there uh, when they were, were doing all of their mm. interviews in Manchester earlier this week. They've, they've, they've travelled, they're travelling. Today we will be in the stadium. This time tomorrow night we'll have listened to Pep Guardiola um, say his, his final thoughts. And, and whoever, whichever players are put up to speak to us, will be able to watch all of the hour of final training that they that they're able to do in the stadium. But they are one match away, potentially 90 minutes away from this treble, which would be the high point in the club's history. We uh, we do like to look out for signs as we wander around a Champions League final host city. And today we went into Istanbul and we stumbled upon the Column of Constantine, uh, which was taken from a temple of Apollo in Italy. It's 35 metres tall. I believe that is 17 Erling Haaland's or just 16 John Murray's. <laughs> You've got the edge on him. Got the edge on him. I caused a bit of a stir, didn't I, on the Metro? They, it's almost as if they'd never seen a man as tall as me. In a bucket some, hat. Some of those people on the Metro. <laughs> but, um, but in all honesty today, I guess the influx is going to happen over the course of the next couple of days. But, uh, but there wasn't so much of a sign of, uh, of, uh, of 